one step in this long progress. It's been a team effort by us all the way. We're but part of the whole team that's worked so hard. The shuttle era will come to an end. But they won't stop inspiring, and they won't stop being a part of the fabric of America. We choose to go to the moon. everybody to another episode of the Talking Space Podcast. This is Talking Space episode 414 for the week of Monday, April 30th, 2012. I'm Sawyer Rosenstein and joining me tonight is Mark Ratterman. Welcome, Mark. And happily joining you after a couple weeks of not being here with a lot of other fun stuff instead, but it's good to be back. There's so doggone much to talk about from this wide-eyed, wide-open April that we've had so far. Indeed. Now, today is going to be a very special, different kind of episode. Gene McCulka was unable to join us tonight, but he'll be back next week to share his stories. But for tonight, Mark Ratterman and myself will be discussing our experiences with the Space Shuttle retirement here in our Space Shuttle Shuffle special. So, we'll start things off where the actual events began, and that was with the Space Shuttle Discovery getting ready for departure from the Kennedy Space Center in Florida. And that was a couple weeks ago. That's why you weren't here for our last episode, Mark. So, how about you catch us up a little bit on what you happened to encounter while you were down there? I'm gonna, I'll am gonna. i do a quick run-through of some of the events that they had for the media at KSC. And uh, i got to tell you, there wasn't anything that I was more or less excited about than the next thing that was going to happen. It was that good of a week. I think they really uh, pulled out all the stops to to get as much online for the press as they could. The the numbers of the press that were there kind of varied depending on what the events were on on certain days. Uh, For instance, the first event that came up was on Tuesday, April 10th, and that was the arrival of the shuttle carrier aircraft. Now, that was exciting for me because I live in small-town North Florida. I've worked at small and medium-sized airports with the FAA forever. And to see a 747 up close is something that I, I look forward to. I love airplanes. I love watching them. I'm not a pilot, but I, love the, I just love watching them. So the fact that a 747 was going to come in, I was going to get to see it land. I was going to get to see it hopefully the next day, which I did. Uh, was just phenomenal, and uh, it was funny because I heard one of the local TV uh, crews that was there out at the shuttle landing facility to to watch the SCA land, and you know the cameraman was uh, was being coached by the by the newsman that was with him, and he said, "Well, it's going to be a big plane. It's going to land." He said, "It's nothing different than anything we've seen before, except for this is a special airplane," and the cameraman said, "Oh, okay." So he obviously wasn't real versed in it. But I think in time, everybody's uh, interest peaked when they saw this unique airplane coming in. And in land it did. It taxied past us, and it went out of sight, and that was it. It was over and done with in a, in a matter of a minute or two. Uh, the next day, Wednesday the 11th, got to tour the shuttle carrier aircraft, and I was very much looking forward to that. Got to talk to some of the crew. I talked uh, to a couple of the flight engineers found out some of the differences between their ferry flights where they have a, a shuttle that's still in service versus the, the flight of carrying Discovery to Washington. Um, there's things that are different. They don't do power monitoring on the shuttle that they do with an operational orbiter. Um, they've, they've got different restrictions or lack of restrictions actually on, on temperatures aloft that they can fly through. And really there's just enough differences that... Uh, you know, it, it really stands out the difference between a, a orbiter that's in service and and an orbiter that's uh, that's been retired. But did get to go inside the SCA, got to talk to some of the United Space Alliance employees later that afternoon on the 11th, and um, 
you know, I, I got to give, you know, strong praise to, to these men. And I'm sure there's women, but it was a group of men that I that I saw that day because they are very focused. We've heard that word before. They're positive. They were enthusiastic. Uh, if I was in any of their shoes, I would be kind of apprehensive about talking to the press. But everybody that was there was uh, engaged in in good conversations for the for the 30, 45 minutes or so that we had their attention out there before they had to to get to work to prep for the SCA and the uh, orbiter mate demate operation. Um, I did get to go on a tour of the giant crawler transporter on Friday the 13th. I thought that was a pretty lucky day for me. And on Saturday morning, bright and early before dawn, we saw Discovery roll out of the VAB. That was kind of a uh, one of those moments where you're watching it and you know you're really seeing something that hardly anybody is going to see because it was – I'm trying to think of how many photographers, how much – uh, press folks were there a couple of busloads, so let's say uh, less than 60 or 70 probably, and we're gathered there in the dark uh, watching Discovery uh, being tugged out and, and by tug taken past us, and one of the photographers who'd seen many a shuttle pass by coming back from the field or you know, being moved from OPF to the VAB, different different things. They said that's the fastest they'd ever seen an orbiter move, and uh, it was kind of funny because apparently the the restrictions and the rules and everything is different when you've got a retired shuttle versus one that's loaded with all of the things that that are on board on a one that's just come back from space. But that was uh, Saturday the fourteenth. Saturday was supposed to be the day that uh, the shuttle was going to be lifted up in the mate-demate device, the MDD. And because of winds, I think we can relate to winds, Sawyer, from talking with you about uh, your experience with Enterprise up at uh, New York. That uh, Oh, yeah, and you'll hear that in some of the recordings that I have coming up in a little bit. Yeah, you, you, nothing you can do about it. When you're outside and the wind's gusting and blowing, well... They had to leave Discovery on the deck uh, Saturday because uh, winds were, uh, I'm not sure what steady winds were, but they were gusting to 20 and better. And so they couldn't pick it up because it would have uh, put, in fact, they did lift the nose wheel off the ground. The main gear were still on the on the uh, ramp surface. And you could see, or maybe it was the day they had the whole shuttle lifted in by the, uh, by the crane, but you could see a small amount of movement. And so... I can understand after that why they had to wait until the next day on Sunday to do the whole thing. What they planned to do was pick it up, set it on top of the shuttle carrier aircraft, and do a soft, they called it a soft mate, where the fasteners that, that attached the two would be hand tight. And then the next day, they were going to come back and, and do the final preparations for the for the ferry flight. It ended up all being done on Sunday. And again, it's the the shuttle workers, the the people that I got to speak to were... Technicians that work in the main propulsion system, they refer to themselves as aft techs for the shuttle, and uh, they were part of the process of uh, rigging the, the hoisting mechanism on the MDD and, and picking the shuttle up and, you know, all of that operation they were out there for, and they put in some hours. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so, of course, the discovery was set on the orbiter, and I thought one of the coolest things is that on Monday which was when they pushed the SCA discovery combo out of the mate-demate device, when they pushed it back out onto the open ramp, and everybody got to see it for the first time in a in flight configuration. Um, we had some interviews where we got to talk to some of the STS-133 crew, got to talk to some of the transition and retirement managers with NASA from KSC and from Johnson Space Center. And after the... Nice part of the morning there at the shuttle landing facility, they told the press, okay, guys, it's employee photo ops the rest of the day, and y'all have to leave. And I don't think anybody objected to it because they bust uh, employees out to the SLF from from there at KSC. They brought employees out so that they could get some group pictures taken with the SCA and Discovery in the background. 
they had uh, some tables set up and uh, people, and it was, I thought it was special. It was something that very much was, I think, something that needed to be done for the employees to give them that chance for that that little victory of their own for their participation in the programs and everything that goes on out there. So I hope I'm not talking too much, but uh, there was a lot going on. I mean, at that point, we're talking uh, Monday morning. I got there Tuesday the week before. It was there Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. And, of course, the big day was flight day, and, and that would be Tuesday. I just have to say, for the amount of stuff that you actually did and for the amount of audio that you actually recorded and listened through – that is saying nothing. <laughs> That's only yeah. a very brief description of everything. Yeah, this is kind of the tip of the iceberg, but you know, I really want to convey just uh, how unique it was. And you know, I, I told, uh, well, it'll probably be in one of the clips that we we'll use later. But it, it's so the the people that are part of this program, the orbiter is one thing. Discovery is one special ship. Record-setting number of flights for the fleet, the uh, the oldest the oldest orbiter uh, still flying, uh, 365 days in orbit, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. You you can't stop talking about the accomplishments of of that ship, but it's the people and everybody that I got a chance to talk to was just absolutely fascinating to to talk with them for anywhere from a few minutes to to some of them even a little bit longer. In fact, I got so many probably recordings of rambling and just, you know, saying, well, what was this like and what is that like? And that uh, there, there's probably too much to uh, even conceive of being able to use on our show. But how about we talk about Tuesday, April 17th? Does that sound like a good one? Sounds like a good day for me. It sounds like there's something kind of important with that date. Yeah. Well, i tell you what uh, What impressed me. I was at the press site. Uh, probably it was Monday afternoon after we cleared out of the S- SLF for employee uh, time out there with the orbiter. Um, I was at the press site, and I saw somebody set a, a clipboard down on the desk and you know, a couple of dozen people all gathered around, and I thought, okay, something's going on. I should be over there, and I was tired. <laughs> I was just flat out tired. I said, I'll look at it later. So later on, I looked, and I thought, whoa, wait a second. They put out the sign-up sheets for where we want to watch the departure of Discovery in the SCA. Do I want to watch it from State Road 3 at an intersection of the tow road? Do I want to watch it from midfield out at the SLF? Or do I want to watch it from the roof of the VAB? And I thought, okay, you know, I'm not a photographer. All I got is a point and shoot. Uh, I was trying to think, where do I want to be to take pictures? And I thought, well, okay. The other thing is, where can I probably get a more opportunity for more pictures? And I thought, well, the high point, the high ground. So I was up on the roof of the VAB, and that's the first time I'd been up there. And uh, we got there just before sunrise on Tuesday the 17th. We set up and we were ready, and you could look out across the uh, SLF, maybe uh, two miles away. Of course, the runway is three miles long, so how can you tell how far away you are from any particular point other than it's a ways? And watching the aircraft taxi out, take off, and it it's flat. It's exciting. I mean, I love, like I said, I love watching airplanes take off, land, and when you throw in the fact that okay, we're gonna we're gonna take off, we're gonna fly to the south. Down around Patrick Air Force Base, short distance down the coast, we're going to make a turn, we're going to hook around, we're going to fly up the beach, we're going to turn in towards the runway, we'll overfly the visitor center, we'll do a low pass down the runway, and then we'll depart for uh, Washington, D.C. And I thought, wow, that sounds really cool. Well, it, it got even cooler because the light wasn't that great when when the aircraft took off, but when she came back, oh, maybe 10 minutes later or so, I was listening on a scanner, and I heard the pilot call the tower and say, uh, I'd like to make a right 360 to get better alignment for the runway. And, of course, the tower said, that's approved. Go ahead. And at that point, just south of uh, maybe uh, in the vicinity of the, the visitor center, that big 747 with Discovery on top made a, a, at, at a pretty good altitude. He was probably 1,000 feet 
or so in, in altitude, but he started a big sweeping turn. And I was so busy catching a, a few photos that I was uh, that I was able to take. And at that point, the sun was lighting up the clouds to the east. And I got a, a shot of the uh, of the SCA and Discovery from the rear as it as it flew out, I think roughly over pad 39A, making this big wide turn. And she made that big wide turn, came back around, lined up with the runway, made the pass, gear up uh, 100 feet, 200 feet ab- above the runway surface, and departed out to the north. You know, it, it just had you. Um, I, I'm sure the adrenaline was 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 pumping for the photographers that were they were getting these one of a one of a kind shots, and it was for me too. And mostly, I was just watching it and enjoying it. So wow. that was. That's a snapshot for me of what was going on there for for a week. Do you mind if we post some of those pictures to the website? I think uh, one of them would be interesting because it's it's a picture that doesn't so much show the detail as the silhouette. We'll post I, that one to the website. Yeah, I don't think I've posted this one anywhere and even mentioned it because it's been it's been busy time, but I certainly will. One of the people I talked to at. Uh, at Cape Kennedy with Stephanie Stilson, and she is the NASA Flow Director for Orbiter Transition and Retirement. And I've talked to Stephanie, uh, probably this is, I guess, the third time that I've actually had opportunity to quote-unquote interview her. And uh, it's always been a treat to get to talk to her. I've got about uh, nine minutes or so, maybe a little bit less than that, of conversation where we were talking about discovery and some other things that I think you'll find interesting. So here we go. I'm curious with Enterprise um, at the point where Enterprise comes off the SCA, mm-hmm. is that the point where it's the, someone else's responsibility? And, yeah, and not- we'll, we'll take care of, of mounting it on to their transporter. So the transporter itself will have actual attach points from previous flown shuttle carrier aircraft. So we're very familiar with those attach points. They are actually going to set them on a transporter, um, but we will, we will do what we've done before and set it down on top of these attach points. And then we will we will hand tighten them down. We won't torque them down. Hand tighten them down. And at that point, we, we turn it over to Intrepid, and, and they're now in charge. At that point, do you leave? Do you go on? To yes, we will. At that point, we will have the task of breaking down their site, so taking down the wind restraint system and getting everything cleaned up. Uh, we drill over 200 holes in the concrete to, to secure that wind restraint system, so we'll have to fill those holes and make sure the airfield is back the way we found it, um, and then then we'll be done. So we'll come home okay, and prepare so, for, in, for Endeavor. Right? So you won't be holding your breath as, uh, as Enterprise floats up the river? I didn't say that. I didn't well, say you, you will, but you yeah. But you won't be the one. Uh... That's right. I won't be the one responsible at that point in time. But but no, you know. And of course, we're all very close with the Intrepid team now. We've been working with them for over a year, so um, we're very confident that they'll be successful in what they're doing. And and hopefully, I, maybe I'll you know fly up there on my own and actually get to see it. I'd like to see it take off out of there, out of the on the on the river. So uh, maybe involved in that regard. But in regards to responsibility, then no, I have to let that go. <laughs> and, and also at Endeavor site uh, when she comes off the aircraft, I, I guess the same process. Same same thing. When it's soft, soft connected down yep. to the transport, it's theirs. Yep. Then, then we walk away, we clean things up, and go home. And, and uh, of course, we'll continue to consult with them if they need our advice and things like that. Yeah. How about? I heard at one of the press conferences, uh, I believe it was during Discovery's mission or at landing, uh-huh. where the. Uh, they were talking about the forensic analysis of Discovery since it's flown so many times, mm-hmm. so many hours in space. Mm-hmm. Do you know anything about what what's been done or, yeah. or what's what's what they've had opportunity to do during the past few months? Well, so far we, we have removed components that that are going to be used for that. Different avionics boxes, different valves for valve cycling, uh, things of that nature. And and then we also did some corrosion inspection. So we actually peeled back blanket, took off tile, and got down to the subsurface, the skin of the vehicle, to see how the airframe itself has 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 withstood the test of time, I guess you would call it that, right? Um, So we've gathered that data, but but my team's not really involved with any of the analysis of that data, so I'm not sure how they're doing with it, but we did capture that so they could go off and do that research. That seemed like such a wonderful, uh, you know, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to look at at an orbiter that's flown 
it's got that much time in orbit. Well, and, and I think that that's another good thing about having Discovery at the Smithsonian is just like we did in the past, we went back to Enterprise and did research and did testing and used pieces and parts. Um, one of the big ones was for the Columbia accident, right? We went and pulled off the, and used the you know shooting things at the wing for, for that type of research. So I have a strong feeling that that will happen as well. Now, obviously, we want the vehicle to stay intact enough that it can be enjoyable by the public, um, but I'm sure that there will be times where somebody will come up with something and say, hey, let's go look at Discovery. That's why Discovery is there, to be that vehicle of record, to ensure that 100 years from now an engineer can go back and say, well, what did it take to get this orbiter in space? How did this hydraulic system work? And have that opportunity to do so. Any surprises? Discovery is the first one that you started that transition process with. Any surprises, or was it just too many to list? During uh, you know, I was actually surprised that we did not have many surprises in the, the deservicing of these vehicles. Um, it actually went very smoothly. It, it's a lot like the work we normally do to service, right? It's, it's servicing, deservicing, they're very similar. So things actually went very well. More of our surprises came with the things that we're doing at the airfield to prepare for the offload, because that's a new world for us, using that wind restraint system, getting those cranes in there. We had to get trucks through um, permitting at the Virginia State Line. We had to, you know, call and say, we need to get these trucks through, that kind of thing. So those are things we weren't used to dealing with that were new to us. And so that's where more of the challenges have been, is, is the, the things that we haven't done before. Special memories for uh, from Discovery's landing through now that, that that come to mind. You know, a lot of great moments. Um, I, I think one of the best things, believe it or not, was when we did Media Day with Discovery because that was the first time we took a lot of folks from the media into the vehicle. And you know, and, and of course, everyone understood when we were still flying how that was not possible and how careful we had to be. So to see the appreciation of those folks to get to go in. Also with employees, we we did that with employees. We allowed them to sign up and do the same thing where they got to rotate through and, and sit in the commander's seat and see the vehicle and so forth. And just to see the smiles and to get the emails from people that were so appreciative, which I had nothing to do with it. You know, I have folks that, that set all that up and made it happen, but they see me as a representative of Discovery and to say thank you so much for that opportunity. I've worked here for 20 years. I've never been inside a vehicle. Um, it was just a really, really neat experience. So for me, I think over the course of all of this, that's something that I'll remember the most. Got a compliment for you and the team on uh, Discovery's Media Day. You were underneath the orbiter mm-hmm. and talking with you and talking yeah. with one of the TPS folks. Right. And it's, this is me, but I could almost forget where I was mm-hmm. because it's so fascinating getting to talk to you and your team to, to learn the things yeah. that, that, that we learn and that That's good. Like a very rare opportunity. That's so, good. Uh, if, if there was something that the public affairs office or the upper mm-hmm. level of NASA made possible. Mm-hmm. It was making that available and giving us those opportunities to That's good. Folks. Yeah, well, I'm glad to hear that. Thank you for sharing that. That's good, yeah. And that's, you know, we love what we do. And so if people want to hear us talk about what we do, that's that's phenomenal. You know, we'll, we'll talk all day. You know, you can't shut us up a lot of times. In fact, that was a lot of times in, in the crew module. I know the the uh, the, S, the uh, shuttle SEOs, the shuttle carrier say that wrong spacecraft operators spacecraft yes operators. they you know they want to talk and talk and talk and we're like you gotta gotta let them go that you know we gotta get them out of there. there's more coming in you can talk to them because they just love what they do they don't want to they don't want to release that they don't want to be done doing that so talked to a couple of the uh, workers uh, a couple of days ago out here on the ramp yeah. uh, in fact i think i talked to two of the uh, aft, uh, aft, technicians, technicians yeah mm-hmm. oh yeah they'll talk your ear off yeah. they love what they do any sad times with with people that you you know, the, the, the yeah. numbers have dwindled during Absolutely. this transition time. Absolutely. You know, we had several layoff points where big groups were being laid off at one time and so we had opportunities to say goodbye and stuff and there were a lot of tears a lot of my best friends were a part of that layoff process and I still keep in touch with them all obviously and and they're they'll always be a part of the team but it'd been great if we could have had everybody involved to the end and it just, it, we just couldn't do it so so that was tough you know there were folks that, that got very emotional when it was their last day and it was time to leave a lot of those emotions came out on the last time they knew they were going to see the vehicle rolling over so even maybe they had another couple weeks or a month to work but this was the last time that they'd be able to see see a vehicle like that. Um, so a lot of tears along the way. But, you know, overall, everybody's been really positive. Even the ones that have been laid off, examples, they'll say, you know, I started back in the 70s. It was a temporary job. I thought I'd be here six months. Here, I've been here 30 years. I'm very fortunate. I'm very happy that, that I got to do this. And so I love hearing that because, and that's the, the general consensus is, yeah, we're not happy it's over. We're not happy we're having to leave. But, man, what a great ride it's been, and we're just so happy to have been a part of it. The first time I met you, we were talking about the the, uh, the, the question of morale and, and right. 
know, right. kind of checking on the team. How are their spirits? And, uh, right. and that you spoke very positively. So mm -hmm. it's great to hear that it's continued, that it hasn't yeah. faded out yeah. at this point. Absolutely. To the end, they're, they're professional, they're dedicated, and they're enthusiastic. That's been the main thing. Oh, can you give me a snapshot of where things are at in the flow for Endeavor in Atlantis? Sure, sure. Um, Endeavor right now is, is, is doing safing, so they're finishing up their safing. They're still in that process. They're also in what we call the display phase, which is getting the vehicle uh, prepared from a visual perspective. How does the museum want it? Because there's some different things between each museum of how they want it. Um, and then preparing for ferry. So um, a lot of work still ahead. main thing that's driving the schedule for them is removing components from the aft of the vehicle. We've got main propulsion system components that are coming out to support the future Space Launch Systems Program, SLS. Uh, so that's going to take a lot of time, and that'll work us right up until the September time frame when we're ready to leave here and go out to California. Atlantis, same type of thing, still doing safing. They also will be removing a lot of components out of the vehicle. Um, they're a little bit farther behind just because, you know, staggering the work, only two processing facilities to work through. So, but the same process is happening for each, and uh, we'll be looking for November time frame to be ready with Atlantis. I'll be here. Great. Thanks, great. Stephanie. Thanks. Thanks. Good to see you. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, I told you it was good, didn't I? You weren't kidding. Holy cow. Yeah. Did, did she say over 200 holes just to get that bolted in? That's correct. That's impressive. And what's even more impressive I, is that um, Dulles and JFK actually allowed them to drill 200 holes into their tarmacs. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. It's also still great to hear that everybody's in great spirits, even with all of the layoffs. Yeah, that's been something we've been concerned about. And we've talked about, you know, the effect on the employees, the effect on the community. And like she said, the, the people that I talked to, they were all very eager to talk. And, you know, even though they were talking about what was ending for them, they were still... Uh, they were still great, great attitude. All right. So now what we're going to do is thank you so much again, Mark, for going down there and covering that all. And I know you have more audio clips and we're going to save some of those for a very special show coming up in July. So don't worry, they're not going to waste. But now we're going to continue on. We finished with Space Shuttle Discovery leaving Florida. And after that, it went to Dulles International Airport, which is right near Washington, D.C., now, Gene was there. However, he is unable to join us tonight. However, we do have somebody special joining us here tonight who was there in Washington, D.C., as well as New York. So she'll be helping us out here with Discovery and Enterprise. So please welcome back our fifth Beatle, Craftlass. Thank you, Sawyer. Always great to have you on. So you were down there for the landing, actually, in fact, of the Space Shuttle Discovery, as well as the handover ceremony. So can you give us a brief description of what that was like? Well, I was very fortunate. I got a last-minute invitation to the Air and Space Society breakfast for Discovery. So we were on a fifth-floor balcony out at Udvarhazi. And it was a spectacular brunch with orbiter quiche and orbiter cookies and NASA TV up everywhere and speakers. Um, but the most important thing was we got to be out on this balcony and she flew so close. It, it you know, I mean, obviously we weren't being little, literal, but we were joking we could jump off the balcony and just grab a ride in on her, you know. <laughs> it, it was spectacular. And she flew by twice um, and then, you know, made her a loop around D.C. each time and came back. And then we got to see the landing gear come out and, you know, her final descent. And uh, it was it was so beautiful. It's amazing how graceful these two giant, <laughs> you know, pieces of machinery can be in the air. <laughs> Definitely, actually, uh, a, a bit more uh, smooth and graceful than an actual shuttle landing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little less steep of a descent. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and a little slower, <laughs> just a bit. <laughs> so did you get to see it by any of the actual monuments or just as it came in near the airport? Just near the airport. We were, um, I, I forget exactly how far out Dulles and Edvar are, um, but it's about a 20-minute drive from 
DC itself. So you can't really see the monuments from there. But it's a beautiful setting. You're surrounded by mountains and it, it's and trees and it's gorgeous. And it was just, it was actually quite lovely to get to see her fly right over nature again. <laughs> you know, much like KSC. So what was the reaction of people around you as well when they saw it? It was, um, it was very mixed. Um, you could definitely tell who the serious shuttle geeks were. <laughs> we, um, I went with uh, Space Tweep, and then we bumped into some of uh, the tweeps that I'd been at the 133 launch tweet up with. And so we were all extremely emotional, um, as were a bunch of people around us. Um, but mostly... Uh, you know, people were just really excited. I mean, and we, if you look down at the street from where we were, you could see like this line of cars just stopped dead with people like standing outside, just looking up at the sky and like traffic was just a standstill. People were parked. And then um, there were like hundreds of people out on the grass below us as well. So it, w- it was really exciting. It was like being at a giant music festival or something, but, you know, for this spaceship. <laughs> so shuttle stock instead of Woodstock. Exactly. <laughs> so were you there for the actual ceremony as well? Yes, I was. How was that? Um, it was a little bit hard to hear when you were there, sort of like being at the press site <laughs> when you're the one, only people who don't really see what's going on. But they did have screens up and... Um, it was, uh, you know, it, it was mostly really, like really emotional, um, especially when they actually did like handed her over. It was like, wow, it's real, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, she's at the Smithsonian, and this is it, you know. So it was, uh, it was, it was. Uh, we uh, we kept making this comment that the flyover was like the wake, and then the ceremony felt like the funeral, like. You know, you celebrated her and also mourned her. You know, it was pretty incredible to feel these emotions amongst like all of the people who were there. So, for anybody who says, you know, people aren't interested in the shuttles anymore, <laughs> uh, being there, you know, everybody was really, uh, you know, clearly supporters and there were a lot of people there. Um, but it was it was a little difficult to actually hear all of the speeches. Now, we'll probably talk a little bit more about the speeches next week when Jean rejoins us. But I need to ask you, what was it like seeing Enterprise and Discovery nose to nose? <sighs> it was it, it kind of made them, you know, I've seen a lot of people anthropomorphize the shuttles or heard them do it and it was kind of really easy to do that when they were nose to nose like it was everybody kept running around taking shots of different angles because sometimes they kind of looked like they were kissing sometimes like they were like nuzzling each other and it was like you know kind of really cool because it was enterprise and discovery you know it was like the oldest remnants of the shuttle program they're the oldest ones and and they met again you know for the first time and I, I you know I don't even know what the last time they'd been on the same property was there it was really cool (laughs) and one was really dirty and one was really clean (laughs) and oddly their tail cones were the opposite a bunch of us noticed that and uh they just looked gorgeous what do you mean by the tail cones were opposite like the uh enterprise's tail cone was dirtier and (laughs) discoveries was cleaner I don't oh. know why. I'm not sure how the tail cones work, if they each have their own or what. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was just kind of this funny little thing we all noticed when they were side by side. <laughs> Go figure that but, one. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually, uh, I tweeted something about it. I never got an answer from anyone because now I'm really curious about the story of the tail cones that they use on the SCA, you know. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that the tail cones if I remember correctly, were the original ones from the 70s, because I know the Intrepid asked for those specifically. Right. Just well, like, so, they, how, uh, so they probably got the oldest one on Enterprise. Right, just how Smithsonian asked for Discovery in its final flight configuration, not clean mm-hmm. or anything, which is why it was dirty. Uh, I know the Intrepid Sierra and Space Museum originally asked for, if anybody could find it, the original um, nose piece that was sticking out the front, which I don't think anybody found, 
but they also wanted the original tail cone used during the test flights, which my assumption is it's probably the original one from the 70s, which has been reused multiple times. Exactly, which is why it's the one that's dirtier. We just thought it was kind of like interesting because we were wondering if that was the original one just for that reason. Um, Who needs to so, have talking space? <laughs> this was actually major conversation <laughs> all day down there. Well, there's your short answer. <laughs> so thank you. Sure thing. But yeah, it was really it was really cool, and I'm so glad that they did nothing to clean up Discovery. I mean, it's um, it, it really makes you appreciate, you know, uh, what these ships went through over and over and over. I mean, that's that's amazing. It's one thing when you look at, like, you know, a capsule from, say, Apollo, and, of course, what it did was absolutely incredible, but you look at it, and that's just one trip through the atmosphere, you know? It's pretty amazing <laughs> when you right. think about the reusability factor is you can see it on Discovery, and, you know, it's really cool. <laughs> All right, so after... The official handover. Space Shuttle Discovery was then towed to the Udvar-Hazy Center in place of Enterprise, which then, after multiple weather delays, finally lifted off from Dulles at 9.35 a.m. for New York City, its new home, and John F. Kennedy International Airport, and that was on Friday the 27th of April, 2012. Now, as it flew by, it did a couple of tours around New York City, and I was at John F. Kennedy International Airport, so I didn't get to see any of the actual fly around New York City. So we'll come back to myself in a moment, but Craftless, you were there to actually see the fly around, right? Yes, I was. I was in Pire- at Pire in Hoboken, New Jersey. So what did you see? Well, the... There was, a, again, a huge crowd gathered at the pier, which was so cool. And all of a sudden, we heard somebody go, there it is, there it is, and, you know, looked. And you could all you could see was this tiny little dot. And um, then it was flying directly at us. That's, like, pretty much what it looked like. <laughs> and kind of swung out a little bit over Jersey City. And then, again, was flying, like, straight at us and flew directly over our heads on the first pass. <laughs> Wow. So, yeah, it was like pretty much we saw the underbelly of the SCA, and then all of a sudden you could see shuttle wings popping out. (laughs) That's a lot of airplane, isn't it? Oh, it is. It's a whole lot. (laughs) (laughs) And it was eerie because the airspace was completely shut down for this. And I go out to that pier all the time, and there's always so much air traffic. It's one of the busiest areas in the world. And it was amazing because it was so eerily silent. And then the sound of the SCA was right there. (laughs) It it was amazing. It was pretty low. I'm not sure exactly how high it was flying. but It was about, I believe the altitude was approximately 1,500 to 3,000 feet, depending on where it was. Right, exactly. So, I mean, it, it was close, It was, and it was huge. <laughs> Along those same lines, it's kind of scary when you're at uh, the actual airport, JFK, one of the busiest in the world, and there's planes <laughs> taking off every couple minutes, flying right over your head, and then all of a sudden there's nothing. That's when you're like, okay, <laughs> something's about to happen here. That's sort of what happened out there, too, just a little bit earlier, probably. Um, it was weird, and then there were a ton of helicopters, and then they were gone. so did you see it pass by twice or yes yeah it went it flew up the hudson and um as it after we heard that it had swung out over the tappan z and i had binoculars with me so i started using them and we were um passing them around and we caught sight of her like this tiny dot over the george washington bridge and you know then got bigger and bigger we got this nice really long view in the binoculars of her over the gwb and that was spectacular because that's one of my favorite bridges (laughs) so yeah it was quite an entrance and then she came basically down um over like we were out on the pier and she came down over the riverside where we were this time. So like the people that were with me got really great videos and pictures of her going over the Wiley buildings in Hoboken and uh, the W hotel, which was really cool. So if we take a look at it from the airport's perspective now, this is where I'll take over a little bit here. So what happened was 
when it first came around, all of a sudden everyone's like, look quickly, it's over there. And we checked, and for about five seconds, we all we could see was a brief outline of the actual 747 in the shuttle passing right by the Freedom Tower. That was pretty neat there. It was only a couple seconds, and I only caught it for maybe a second or two of that time period, but that was really neat to see. And in fact, I'll play a clip uh, with somebody talking about that experience. But then all of a sudden it flew around and we were waiting for it and they were expecting it to come from the right. And they said, change of plans, everybody's going to be coming from the left, which is over the actual hangar where it's currently being housed. So all of a sudden they say, all right, everybody take a look to the left, you'll be coming shortly. So I'm looking, I'm looking, and then all of a sudden right through the hangar, I'm looking right underneath, you know, the little cutout of the hangar, right through there it starts flying through. And I'm all, I'm just there snapping pictures and... Everybody in the crowd is just cheering and applauding as it flies by, and we got a great view of it. It flew right over the runway, which was just um, probably about 2,000 feet in front of us, and so we got a great view of that as it went by, and as it flew around, it made a large circle so we could see the tail end of it as it swung around, and that was really a neat sight with the clouds that there were there. So it swung around, made a huge circle, and then it disappeared off into the distance again. Then all of a sudden, we're expecting landing, it comes by, and they switched the runway. So we didn't actually get to see the landing. <laughs> so we got to see it roll out right afterwards, but we didn't see the landing itself, which was a little bit disappointing, but it's okay. After taking a look at the video of it afterwards, similar to how in D.C. the wings started to wobble a little bit right before it landed, this one took a couple bounces as it landed. So I'm kind of glad I didn't see it, or else I'd be holding my breath for that. Yeah, it's funny how both days uh, turned out to be so windy. I mean, right at the edge of what could be allowed. I know. Those pilots are amazing. They <laughs> really are, because I actually spoke with one of the pilots, and I'll play an interview with him in a little bit, but I spoke with him about that, and he said that um, basically there wasn't that much turbulence. I mean, the wings were rocking a little bit as he went over the buildings, which were causing their own disturbance, but otherwise it wasn't too terrible, he said. Wow. That was amazing to hear. I didn't get that on tape, unfortunately, but he told me that, and that was entertaining to hear. So after that, it rolled out, and uh, <laughs> the engine noise from that is pretty spectacular. If you take a listen to it really quickly, you can just hear how loud it was. So that was crazy to hear. So it did a nice turnaround, and then it ended up facing nose first in front of us in the crowd. So that was pretty spectacular. So then we all take our seats, or in my case, up on the stage, as we each gave a presentation. I was asked to actually speak at the event, which I was honored to do, so I gave a speech there. The interesting thing about this, though, is that as I'm sitting there, I can't see behind me where Enterprise is on top of the 747. So I'm sitting there, and I hear the engines rev up right before the speeches start, so I go, okay. I'm sitting there, and then people in the crowd, their looks on their faces, they're gasping, and they're pointing, and we have no idea what's going on, so we're just sitting there. Then all of a sudden, I turn around behind me to take a look. The vehicle had done a 45-degree turn. It was now facing sideways directly behind the stage, and I had no clue. You should have seen the look on my face and then everybody on stage with me when they first saw that. We were all in shock. I mean, here is this massive vehicle. The 747 is absolutely huge if you've never seen one in person, and this one is just stunning extra clean and shiny and huge and then you have this beautiful space shuttle mounted right on top of it the two of them together just looked absolutely stunning and i'll post some pictures of this online on the website but to see that all of a sudden directly behind you that's one of those oh censored kind of moments <laughs> and in fact everybody on stage as soon as i turned around followed suit and there's a picture somewhere online of all of us turned around looking at it and it's absolutely amazing so let's get to the actual presentation then afterwards so there were a couple of people there very special people that get, that went up and gave a speech now one of them that i'm going to play was the first speaker and this was uh new york state senator charles schumer and he's a big advocate for new york and he was one of the big players who helped try and advocate for the spatial enterprise's arrival in New York. And uh, he gave a brief speech about that. He was the one who talked a little bit about the Freedom Tower and what this means to New York City as well as America. So I'll go ahead and play that. Today is a great day for New York. Just about every major city in the country wanted the enterprise. 
but New York has the right stuff, and we won. So we say, welcome, Enterprise. You're going to love it here in New York. And we are so proud to have you here. We said, as New Yorkers, that we would go boldly where no city has gone before. And today we're here to see the shuttle Enterprise reach its final destination, its final home, here where it belongs, aboard the Intrepid in New York. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this today is a great day for New York and a great day for America. What enterprise symbolizes is that when America sets its mind to a goal, we succeed. We may have setbacks, sometimes tragic setbacks, like the shuttle program had, but we will always complete our mission. And to see from afar the Enterprise fly by Freedom Tower is a symbol that New York and America always come back. We are always resurgent. Let that be, let today's great day be a message to anyone who doubts the future of New York and doubts the future of America, and the Enterprise is a symbol of that. There is no better place for the Enterprise than New York. There is no better place for the Enterprise than at the Intrepid Museum. And millions of people around the world will see the enterprise in its beauty and will come to New York and of course, and we care about this, spend their tourism dollars here and create new jobs. So it's a happy, happy day, a day well worth waiting for and to the enterprise and to the intrepid museum, I say, live long and prosper in your final resting place. So that was Senator Charles Schumer. Now, the interesting thing is there, he made a couple of Star Trek references. As you might know, the actual name of the vehicle, the Space Shuttle Enterprise, was named for the Starship Enterprise from the TV show. Now, how it got its name was a little bit interesting, but I don't want to describe that. I think the best person to describe that would be the Vulcan himself, Mr. Spock, Leonard Nimoy, who was at the event and who I had a pleasure of meeting and talking with. But this was a little bit about his speech describing how it got its name and his joy of seeing it for the first time in 1976. This is a reunion for me. 35 years ago, I met the Enterprise for the first time. When this ship was first built, it was named Constitution. Star Trek fans can be very persuasive. <laughs> He sent a lot of letters to President Gerald Ford at the time, and the President logically decided that the ship should be named after our spaceship enterprise, and that's how this enterprise came to be named. What a great day that was in 1976. We, the cast of Star Trek, were invited to be there in Palmdale, California, when this ship was rolled out. For the first time, the hangar doors opened. This wonderful ship came rolling out, and the Air Force Band played the theme from Star Trek. It was a great day for America, a great day for us to be connected to that history. We're very grateful. I want to thank the people of the Intrepid. I want to thank NASA for giving us the Enterprise, John Ford for naming it the Enterprise, the Star Trek fans who insisted that it should be named the Enterprise, to the scientists, the engineers who make these wonderful things happen, I say to all of them and to Enterprise, live long and prosper. Thank you. So there we go. Mr. Spock himself giving his famous words, live long and prosper, to the Space Shuttle Enterprise. So another person who was invited to speak who was really interesting was one of the original test pilots. There were four test pilots who flew the Space Shuttle Enterprise. One of those was Joe Angle. He's flown over 150 different types of aircraft. And so for him to actually have flown the space shuttle, I figured that was pretty interesting, right? I can't tell you how proud, how honored, and, and how humbled I am to get to be here today. 
I'm going to be very, very brief because it's cold and it's windy and everybody wants to get out to see the birds. I, I want to say just a couple of things about the Space Shuttle Enterprise and how important it is to us and how important it should be to you. Enterprise is a very, very special bird to all of us who are associated with the Space Shuttle program. When you design a vehicle and get ready to fly a vehicle that has to has to perform like a rocket off a launch pad, get itself into space, fly in space, delicately maneuvering around, docking with and, and repairing satellites in space at 25,000 miles an hour, by the way, and then return through a fiery hot plasma during re-entry and land like an airplane on a runway. It, it's got a tremendous, tremendous job to do. It's very difficult to know if you have figured out and, and, and thought about all the things that need to happen and need to work and how they need to work in order to perform that broader spectrum of a mission. Our engineers at NASA did an awesome, a wonderful job of designing. That's the most incredible flying machine in the world, ever, whatever be. And they did a wonderful job. And, and in the systems that we checked out there in the landing test, done a good job in, in anticipating what needed to be done. In some areas, we found we needed to make some changes and, and make some, some tweaks and changes in order to be able to land it after coming back from work. We had the luxury of flying in ideal weather. We'd pick a day where there was no wind, take off, up flight of 20,000 feet, separate off the 747, come in and land, and check out the flight control system. And we found that we were operating dangerously close to the limit of that flight control system, and we needed to make some changes. Can you imagine launching a week ago and coming back in here today with windy conditions and gusty conditions like this? The guys that brought the 747 in said it was a very, very big pilot task because it was gusty. We would have embarrassed ourselves tremendously with the space shuttle. We may have even damaged or lost one had it not been for Enterprise and what she taught us about our flight control system and what we needed to change. So you've got a very, very unique piece of history here, and, and we're very proud. I, I, I am particularly happy and proud that Enterprise is going to have a good home here, a good home safe from the elements, but more importantly, on display for young, young men and women who can come and, and learn it, use it as a learning experience, gain the, the confidence, the enthusiasm, to go ahead and, and pursue math and science and technology because that's our future. These kids from Rockville, New Jersey, they're here today. That's a good example. That's our next generation. Those are the kids that we need. Those are the people we need to get to get motivated about learning and, and getting, getting our country, keeping our country number one. So you've got a tremendous piece of machinery here. You've got a tremendous obligation, and that is to keep inspiring and keep educating the young people here. And I know you're going to do a wonderful job, and I want to thank you so much for doing that. Thank you. So that was the main people of the ceremony. Also there was uh, Lori Garver, Deputy Administrator of NASA, as well as some major beneficiaries from the Intrepid Sierra and Space Museum, members of the board, uh, also there was the head of the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey. So that was quite an interesting one. I also was there to give a speech. Now, uh, I don't actually have an audio recording of it at the moment with good sound quality. However, if you'd like to read a copy of what I did, you can take a look at that on our website at TalkingSpaceOnline.com slash shuttle, and you'll be able to read exactly what I said at the presentation. Now, afterwards, I got to actually talk with a couple of major people who were involved with the arrival of Enterprise, whether it be in its original planning or whether it be in its actual landing. And one of those people who I was mentioning before was Bill Rickey, who was the pilot of the shuttle carrier aircraft who brought in Enterprise to New York City. He was the one I mentioned earlier who said that going over the buildings, it was a little bit windy, but not necessarily the actual flight. So I got about a minute to sit down and talk with him, and this was what he was telling me about the honor of flying Enterprise in. How was it flying uh, Enterprise into New York today? It was uh, one of the best flying experiences I've had in a while to be able to fly over New York City, see all the monuments, go through all the airports in about 30 minutes. Not many people can walk that fast to do that, but it was pretty cool to see. 
So how does flying the 747 with the shuttle on top compare to flying any other aircraft? Well, obviously it's a, a much heavier airplane, and uh, I would say this, that with or without the space shuttle, it's uh, fairly similar, uh, but it, it is a it is a, not a challenge to fly, but it is something you need to um, keep keep in mind as it's up there. I, I try not to think too much about it, otherwise it's just going to probably think about the whole time, and I need to concentrate on the procedures, concentrate on uh, doing the right thing, where to turn, where to land, lower the flaps, lower the gear, that type of stuff. So. So, how does it feel flying a piece of space history into such a big city like New York City? Well, I'm proud of that. That's something I'll remember the rest of my life. Uh, if there's a good picture of us flying over Statue of Liberty, that'll go on my wall. No doubt about that. <laughs> Anything else you'd like to say about bringing Enterprise to New York? I'm happy to be here. Enterprise is yours. So that was Bill Rickey, the shuttle carrier aircraft pilot, on flying that into New York City. I thought that was pretty neat that he tried not to actually think about it, because otherwise he would totally forget about what he's doing. <laughs> so that's got to be something pretty interesting on your mind if you think about it that I'm carrying a a piece of space history over one of the largest most populated cities in the world no pressure right <laughs> and they were doing some very non-standard maneuvering I mean when you take a, an aircraft that big and you fly it for that length of time at low altitudes and you're making turns you're you're maneuvering over specific spots you know, it's a good thing the air traffic system had uh, shut down the airspace because that gave them the freedom to move around. They had T-38s flying chase and taking pictures. They had a lot going on. I guarantee they were busy in that cockpit, and they did a magnificent job. Seeing the shuttle carrier aircraft with the shuttle on board in flight is going to be something that people are going to remember. I saw pictures and uh, video clips of uh, of children you know, looking up and just being just crazy excited for being able to see it. And that's that's one of the things that, you know, with the whole end of the shuttle program that we've we've talked about so much, this excitement was the thing that I saw coming and I'm so so glad to hear about and so glad that this is just the start of it. Yeah, what I found really amazing, too, in New York was the amount of school kids we saw. We saw whole classes. Teachers walked their kids right down to the river just to watch. And, and like, I'm talking, like, preschoolers, like, up to, like, you know, all through elementary school age. Um, kids were all over the place. And uh, we saw them all, like, walking back to school afterwards and stuff. It was incredible. They looked just elated. <laughs> and, you know, these are the kids we need to grab. I mean, they've barely gotten to see any of, like, the shuttle program happen. So to see the looks on their faces was just astounding. And a lot of parents brought their kids, like, took their kids out of school to bring them down. Unfortunately, I found out in New York State, they were having statewide testing that day. Oh. So probably most New York kids didn't get to see it. Right, because at JFK, I mean, there was um, a couple of schools. There were some elementary kids who were dressed in flight suits, and yet there were also high school kids who were there. And as I said, quote, after seeing a launch, very few dare not to dream of flying into space one day. Yet those who are too young to remember this dream, such as my seven-year-old cousin Rebecca, who was here with her second-grade class today, might not get to experience that same thrill and excitement that I did. However, that is the important role the Intrepid plays. And that's what Intrepid will do. It will keep that dream alive for everybody else of that shuttle program, and the fact that they were there to see it is really a great thing. I can't, you know, I'm excited to honor her. I can't wait to bring people to see her, you know? <laughs> And it was amazing hearing about, you know, the view of the end of that program also from uh, one of the astronauts. And I got to speak to uh, Mario Runco, who flew on STS-44, STS-54, and STS-77 in the 1990s with aboard Atlantis and Endeavour. So having flown actually on the space shuttle, how does it feel to see Enterprise landing here in New York after the retirement of all? Uh, a little bittersweet. Uh, you know, uh, the vehicles were, were still relatively new. They had a lot of mission life left, uh, 100 mission design life. The high time was Discovery. I think that was about 38 missions, if I remember correctly, total. So still had quite a bit of uh, uh, flight time left to enter. And uh, you know, a great national asset, a great, very capable vehicle that I think will be miss missing in the future. And I, I think at some point or other, there'll be some regrets 
since that we retired the shuttle program when we did. So, uh, but at any rate, uh, it's great to see her. Still amazing. The technology, you know, seeing that uh, vehicle on the back of another, the 747, uh, quite, quite amazing. And 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 in the end, for me, bittersweet. Uh, uh, the wind is, is drying the tears before they come out of my eyes here. So, uh, having flown on one of the shuttles that's actually been in space, how do you feel the Enterprise played a role in leading up to your flights? Actually, the Enterprise, uh, you know, was was uh, you know the flight the flight uh, the fleet leader, and uh, was was the, doing the approach and land tests, and really was ultimately going to be the first vehicle in space. But history had it uh, happen otherwise, and uh, ultimately, at the time when when we were going to build the actual flight vehicles and convert Enterprise to a, 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 a flying orbiter, it was actually cheaper to convert the, the structural test article OV-99 to a flight vehicle than it was to th than this one. And also this was still needed for the approach and land test. And so uh, 99 was converted and became Challenger. Well, thank you so much for being here today. Anything else you'd like to say about seeing Enterprise in New York? No, just uh, uh, actually the weather cooperated, a great day, a little on the chilly side, but uh, all in all, a uh, great event. So that was astronaut Mario Runco, who flew on the space shuttle three times. Even for him, it's emotional. I think it's particularly been emotional. Like, I, I, there were, you know, piles of astronauts at, at Discovery's transfer ceremony. And, uh, you know, and I think all of them had flown on Discovery. And uh, it was it was pretty. I mean, you know, these are people who don't usually show their emotions in public too much, and you, you could see a lot of emotion on their faces. It was pretty astounding. Um, I imagine it must it must be just beyond words to have actually flown in one and you know see them all retired. I mean, if we think it's bittersweet, you know. Right, driving you lived on board one in space for a couple weeks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so now comes the big question of, with it in New York, what's it going to do? What's the exhibit going to be like? And I got to talk with uh, Museum President Susan Marinoff-Zausner about that. And I also asked her a very interesting question about the people who still feel that Houston should have gotten a space shuttle. So I'll go ahead and play that for you. So what does it mean for, uh, for you to get Enterprise here at the Intrepid? You know, when we talk about getting Enterprise, we talk about it on a couple of different levels. And first, we talk about it coming to the region. It's the largest NASA artifact that we will have in the Northeast region. So that's something that's very exciting. We'll have people be able to come and see something in their backyard. And then we speak about it in terms of New York City and how many people will be able to come see it and that we have such a fabulous population and we hope that this will help increase tourism. And then really we talk about it at Intrepid as we're such a rich educational institution and what this will allow is we will have now something so exciting and so iconic that students we hope will get excited about science, technology, engineering and math, the studies that we need them so desperately to really understand so they can become our next generations, engineers, scientists and researchers. So it's so meaningful on so many different levels, so we're so excited that it's coming to us. Can you briefly describe a little bit about the exhibit, what it will be? Absolutely. So after she comes to us on June 6th, we'll be, we'll be creating a pavilion around her, and inside that pavilion, we'll be creating the experience of space history, shuttle history, we'll be telling the story of Enterprise herself, and how that really launched the shuttle program. So it'll be engaging, it'll be interactive, there'll also be the opportunity to get up on a platform, and I'll call it getting that money shot, that proverbial money shot uh, of the Enterprise herself. So what would you say to people that still don't believe that New York should have gotten the shuttle? You know, New York is just such a fabulous city who really got behind this. We're going to have a wonderful platform to tell the story. The Intrepid herself is Intrepid Sea, Air, and Space, and this really puts an exclamation point on the space attachment. We, we, um, we're part of the Mercury and Gemini missions back in the 60s, and so we're excited to tell the story, and we know that we can perpetuate its honor and its history. Thank you. Congratulations. Thank you so much. So there we go. And uh, Space Shuttle Enterprise is now in New York City. It will be demated from the 747 shortly after this recording. Then it will be barged down the Hudson River from June 4th through June 5th, and will be on dis and then will be lifted onto the Intrepid Sierra Space Museum on June 6th, in which it will finally be on display and open to the public on July 19th. So there we go. Those are our space shuttle experiences.
So, with that, we will have a little bit more, hopefully, from Gene McCulka next week. But in the meantime, I'd like to thank everybody here who joined us tonight with their stories. Thank you for joining us, Mark Ratterman. My pleasure. It was really great, and it's great to hear the uh, the perspective from the you folks that got to see her come in. Indeed, and thank you as well for joining us at the little bit of a last moment, Craftlass. Anytime, anytime, and thanks for having me. And um, if I may, I'd like to give a shout-out to the um, people on the Orbiters on Display team in general, um, especially Tim, um, who was the tow driver at KSC. Um, they are a phenomenal bunch of people, and they're doing really great work with tons of love, even knowing you know, that this is the end uh, of the program for them. And uh, I, I talked to a lot of them in D.C., and they're just a phenomenal team. So I'd just like to tip my hat to them. Sure thing. And we'd like to thank everybody as well for joining us. And as always, we'll be back at the regular show next week. But have a great day, night, evening, or whatever it may be, where you are, and go shuttles. Mm-hmm.